Hey, good morning and welcome to Mornings with Mac. And my wife has not gotten me my coffee. Um, hope you've got your copy of God's Word Friday morning. We're going to wrap this up on the Psalms of Lament. Um, I'm going to take Saturday and Sunday off because I have tons I have to do on those days. I'll be back Monday and I'll tell you at the end what we're going to begin to look at on Monday. It, it's not going to be necessarily all in the Psalms. So this morning, take your copy of God's Word. Let's go to Psalm 74. And um, we're going to come to this, uh, the last Psalm of Lament that we're going to look at. There are others. Uh, This has got some background. Now I want you to listen to a little bit, I'll have to be brief, a little bit of the background of Psalm 74. I'm convinced that whoever wrote Psalm 74 was an eyewitness to the Babylonian invasion of uh, Jerusalem and the destruction of the city and the destruction of the temple. Um, This is almost like Lamentations where uh, Jeremiah sits down. It's as if Jeremiah sits down on the sidewalk uh, in downtown uh, on the main street in Jerusalem and he watches the Babylonians destroy the city and destroy the temple and he gives a recount of it. And it's a lamentation. Well, that's what this is. Now, um, let me give you... Let me give you a couple of things about this psalm that I think are helpful to it. So if you're taking notes, you can write down, uh, this psalm is a chiastic construction as well. Now, we've already looked at that. It's a literary device uh, that's used by the author uh, in an attempt to catch and grab your attention and move you through events. Uh, Let me give that to you. Uh, because I, I find this fascinating. Maybe a couple of you will find it fascinating as well. The first three verses uh, are, are an appeal. It's an appeal, uh, verses 1 through uh, 3. Then verses 4 through 9 is a reminder. Then the appeal comes back, 10 and 11. Uh, those two verses are an appeal. And then the reminder, 12 through 17, And finally, an appeal again in verses 18 through 23. So that's the chiastic construction. It's pretty interesting how it's all laid out. And um, if you didn't get that, you can go back and watch this again. But you'll see the psalm laid out in um, in that manner. And let me tell you what really this psalm teaches us. It teaches us how do you pray in a day of self-inflicted calamity? Now, let me just say something up front, then I'm going to hit back on the history. Most of what you and I suffer in life is self-inflicted wounds. Now, we love to blame other people for all the stuff that goes wrong in life. That just has become uh, the American way. It's almost the American way anymore to let me be a victim. I'm a victim. Other people, everything that's gone wrong in my life, all the troubles that I've got, I'm a victim of. Listen. Most of the stuff you suffer from comes from self-inflicted wounds. Now, that's exactly what's happening to Judah here. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the day Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av means the ninth of the month of Av. Now, in the Gregorian calendar, it always, com- it always comes in July or into August. Now, the Jews were not on the Gregorian calendar. Uh, They were on their own calendar. And that's when this fell. 
Now, Tisha B'Av is the day of weeping, the day of mourning, the day of grieving. Because in 587, Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, was the day that the Babylonians destroyed the temple. Now, I can't take you, I'd love to take you through this. In fact, I have a sermon out of the book of Judges that deals with this. I'd love to take you through all the events that have happened in history on Tisha B'Av. But let me tell you what else happened on Tisha B'Av. In 70 AD, now think of the time difference, 587 BC, 70 AD, is when Titus and the armies of Rome broke through the city walls of Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. All, it happened on the same day. And the Jews commemorate that day with 25, not 24, but 25 hours of grieving, reading of lament, usually uh, the book of Lamentations, and uh, 25 hours of, uh, of a fast. So the background of Psalm 74 is the destruction of the temple. Uh, the writer sees the city fall. He sees the temple destroyed. And he is evidently with them in Babylonian captivity. So let me just pick this up and begin to read the first part. These are five parts. I've already given you the construction of them. The first three verses happens to be, remember us. It's an appeal to God. Now listen to what they say. Or, or what the psalmist says. Oh God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. Direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. Now, do you hear how deeply this goes? Do you, do you, you can feel his emotion in all of this. Go to the steps. Direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. This place is gone forever. It's ruined forever. The enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. Now, the sanctuary could have been the temple. It could have been the city of Jerusalem. They saw it as a sanctuary. Uh, they could have even seen the nation as a sanctuary, the nation of Judah. Well, you, you hear there his appeal uh, for God. Remember, God why did you cast us off? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? In other words, they're saying, uh, we really don't know why you've done this. Well, sure they do. All they've got to do is go back to Deuteronomy 27 and 28, where Moses and the children of Israel, when they get in the land, they are, or when, when they're headed into the land, when they got into the land, they were to do this. They did it. Moses told them to do it ahead of time in Deuteronomy. They went to the Mount of Cursing and the Mount of Blessing. And they read the curses that would fall them if they ever disobeyed God. And they would read the blessings that would be theirs as long as they obeyed uh, the Lord. Got my coffee. So um, they know what they've done. Uh, the prophets had been clear that you, you go back. They've had hundreds of years of prophets uh, that had told them uh, what was going to happen to them. Uh, Isaiah um, Jeremiah, uh, in, in the day of their captivity, Ezekiel was in captivity with them. Daniel was in captivity with them. So they had all of that. They had the word of God. So many times we love to act like we can't imagine why this has happened to us. It is self-inflicted wounds. We know it and we should confess it. 
Let me give you the second thing. Here it is. Beginning in verse 4, remember. Now, this is the reminder part of the construction. Remember what they have done. Now, the psalmist is going to turn and he's going to say, let, let me tell you, God, what these Babylonians have done. Your foes which is kind of interesting. It'd be interesting if you'd take this psalm and read the personal pronouns in this. Your foes have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They've set up their own sign for signs. That is, when the Babylonians came in, just like any ancient army that would come in, they would put their own banners up over the walls. And um, uh, their, their banners, in an essence, was saying, uh, we own this place. We're the victors here. This is our place now. They set up their own signs for signs, their own banners as a sign to everybody that they had conquered this. Uh, they were like those who swing axes in a forest of trees. And all its carved wood, they broke down with hatches and hammers. Do you remember what the interior of Solomon's temple was like? It was made out of all of that beautiful cedar of Lebanon. Uh, and then it was overlaid with gold. So when they got to the inside of the temple, it, it was like woodsmen with hatchets in the, in the forest cutting down trees. He says that's what they were like when they got inside the temple. He said they went through and they just chopped up the interior of the house of God. Verse 7, they set your sanctuary on fire. They burned it. They... Uh, they profane the dwelling place of your name, bringing it down to the ground. Uh, they went in there and they profaned the place. They set their own gods up. They said to themselves, we will utterly subdue them and burned all the meeting places of God in the land. Every place that was sacred, every place uh, that to them was holy, uh, they, they burned it down. They destroyed it. We do not see our signs. Now, I'm going to come back to this. There is no longer any prophet, and there is none among us who knows how long. Now, Satan's strategy has always been to get to the heart of worship. It's always been that. I could take you back and begin to show you all of the things that transpired to keep uh, the people of God from building the house of God and from worshiping. Uh, then when they get in there, he begins to degrade the worship. I'm going to take you to uh, the book of Ezekiel chapter 8. In Ezekiel chapter 8, uh, you're going to see what happens right before the destruction of the city. Um, the Spirit tells Ezekiel, he said to me, this is in Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 9. Go in and see the wicked abominations that they're committing here. So I entered and I looked and behold, every form of creeping things and beast and detestable things with all the idols of the house of Israel were carved on the wall all around. They had gone themselves into the temple and set up. These are Jews now. They had gone in there. It was not that they ever stopped worshiping God. It's that they added to the worship of God, the worship of all these pagan gods. See also the American church in 2020. 
Standing in front of them were the 70 elders. Now they represented all the tribes of Israel, the house of Israel. And they stood there, each man with his censer in his hand and the fragrance of the cloud of incense rising. That incense altar was a symbol of their prayers and the smoke rising was a, was a symbol of their prayers rising up to God. Here they were doing it in front of these pagan images in the temple. That'd be like you bringing in to your church and putting it up next to the pulpit a bodhisattva or, um, or a Hindu god or a uh, prayer wheel of the Buddhist uh, or of the Krishnas. Listen to what he said. He said, look, go on out. This isn't all the abominations. I can't tell you how many times that is said in this passage. Look, you've not come to the end of the abomination. There's more. There's more. There's more. He said to the entrance of the temple of the Lord between the porch and the altar were about 25 men with their backs to the temple of the Lord, which was symbolic. They turned their back on God and their faces toward the east, and they were prostrating themselves eastward toward the sun. It it was a clear picture of them turning their back on God and worshiping the gods of the east, the, the god of the sun, the sun god. Well, that's Satan's desire. His desire is always to get to the heart of worship. He got into the heart of the temple and misled the people of God in Jerusalem. Now, where's the temple today? That's right. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where where does Satan want to get to? To the heart of your life, to the heart of worship in your life. He wants to get there to you and to destroy your worship of God. Well, they do that. Now, here he comes to the third uh, part of this psalm. The darkness of the day, an appeal to destroy these Babylonians. Verse 10 and verse 11. How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? They're laughing at us. They're laughing at you. Is the enemy to revile your name forever? God, is this going to go on just forever? How many times have you felt like that? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. You've got your hands in your pocket, God. Get your hands out of your pockets and do something to these. How many times have we pled for God to do things like that? God, we want that person over there to be punished. We want that person over there to receive what they deserve. And we think we have to do it. That's exactly what the psalmist was saying. The fact of the matter is God will take care of it in God's time. The fourth part now. You come to God's deliverance. Here is God's deliverance now. Look at this. He begins to strengthen himself in the Lord. This is what the Old Testament means when it speaks of strengthening strengthening yourself in the Lord. How do I do that? I do it by doing what he does here. Yet my God is a king from old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. This is a beautiful part of this psalm. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. Leviathan, we think, was a a prehistoric animal of some kind. Um, If you go to the Institute of Creation Research, uh, they have an incredible um, uh, fossil head of what they believe was Leviathan. You read about this also in the book of Job. 
Uh, You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open springs and brooks. You dried up every flowing stream. Yours is the day. Yours also is the night. You rule the day. You rule the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Now, what he's doing is he's going through and he's recounting all the powerful things God has done, how God has created all of these things, how God has gained victory over all of these things, how God has um, set up the sun and the moon and the stars and all of these things, how he fixed the boundaries of the earth um, and, and of the seasons. He's talking about the power of God. He's doing what we should do in a day of calamity, sit down and think. These are great days for you simply to take God's Word and to spend about 30 minutes every morning just thinking about how God has cared for you and the power of God in your life in the past. Let me give you the, let me give you the, the, the fourth thing here. And it is his um, appeal now to God. He comes and he says, remember this, O Lord. How the enemy scoffs. He says, remember your people. Remember how how the enemy scoffs. And a foolish people reviles your name. Do not deliver the soul of your dove to the wild beasts. Now he's calling Israel. He's calling Judah. He's calling them themselves the dove. God, we're your dove. We're your little turtle dove. we're, we're, we're your little lamb. We're, we're, your, we're your beloved. Don't forget us. Don't forget the life of your poor forever. Then he says, regard your covenant promise. Have regard for the covenant, for the dark places of the land are full of the habitations of violence. He says, God, don't forget your covenant to us. You promised us that land. You promised us that we could live there. But he says, instead of our being there, what they've done is they've gone in and they've put up these dark places of habitation. And those places are full of violence. Then he comes and he says this, God, rekindle worship in our hearts. Let not the downtrodden turn back in shame. Let the poor and the needy praise your name. God, rekindle that worship. My prayer right now in these days is that in the hearts of people's people whose names are on the church rolls of every church, they will hunger like they've never hungered before to be back in the house of God to worship God. Rekindle. Oh, I'm praying it now. Oh, God, rekindle the heart of worship in the hearts of your people. Let me give you the last thing. And the last thing is this, the revealed power. He said, God, reveal your power. Arise, O God, defend your cause. Remember how the foolish scoff at you all the day. Do not forget the clamor of your foes, the uproar of those who rise against you, which goes up continually. He is doing that. He says, God, he says, arise, get up. And he says, for your cause, for your name's sake, uh, because, because your enemies now are, are clamoring and there's an uproar among them, he said, you rise up and you gain victory. Does God do that? Is there an answer to Psalm 74? There is. Nehemiah. Nehemiah naturally comes after the Babylonian captivity. Nehemiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, in your great compassion, 
you did not make an end of them or forsake them. That's what he was praying for. Will God answer your prayers? Yes. Does he answer it in in the lifetime of the psalmist? I don't know. Maybe he did, but I don't know. But let me tell you something. God will answer your prayers. God answers the prayers of his people. And he answers it right here in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 31. Nevertheless, in your great compassion, you did not make an end of them or forsake them. For you are a gracious and compassionate God. Here endeth the lesson. (laughs) What a great psalm. Now, next week, um, Deb will try to keep the dogs quiet and uh, try to film me at the same time. And I'm going to do something a little unusual. You've heard of the Beatitudes? Well, I'm going to take you to the Beatitudes of the Old Testament. You know the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount. But I'm going to take you to the Beatitudes in the Old Testament. The same God who blesses in the New Testament is the same God who had blessed in the Old Testament. Have a good weekend. We look forward to seeing you on Monday. God God bless.